Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everybody had a great weekend. Welcome to Nightlight. Um, let me give a little background to set up tonight's show. Uh, over my life, I've had you know, a few friends. You know, we first uh, met, and they said I, they had a, a distinct recollection of you know, us being kids, and you know, we were looking for seashells on the beach of Atlantis. I don't have a recollection of that. Uh, another friend was also, you know, distinctly recalled. Uh, we, we were kids on, you know, like the, during the covered wagon times in Oklahoma or Nebraska and, I don't know, just circled the wagons for the some Indian attack or so. I, you know, it's like it's some story like that. And I was like, I, I don't remember that. Um, others have spoken about my wavy hair and are convinced I'm Jewish. Uh, I'm not aware of any Jewish heritage, um, but you know, they said you know, it might be. Some kind of residual um, side effect from another lifetime, and I, I don't have any recall of that. Uh, growing up in know, like the Holy Land area, either. So um, I'm not a skeptic about past lives. I just don't have any or much experience um but i am intrigued by the topic and i am eager to learn more to give us an insightful education on past lives we have a couple of healthcare professionals who have known each other for 6000 years and had 29 lives together carla bonnie kid and dr dave Bettenhausen have co-authored 
the gift of past lives, how no reincarnation, and the manual. You can learn more about them by visiting their website, thegiftofpastlives.com. Welcome, Carl and Dave. How are you? Hi, Mark. We're great. Yep, we're doing great today, Mark. It's a pleasure to meet you and Barbara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, learning from you two as we go along, and yeah, hopefully uh, in, there are a lot of listeners where uh, you know they'll be uh, picking up new. Uh, insights are being in- introduced to this uh, topic. It's going to be a fun, fun evening. Um, and before we get any further, need to thank a special someone for connecting us. She is the popet of publicity, the princess of promotion. The Maven of Media. It's starting to sound like Chuck Barris, but the Gong Show was one of my all-time favorite shows and prepared me to be a host and introduced me to the genius of the unknown comic. So, thanks, Michelle uh, Freed, for uh, connecting us tonight. Maybe she did this thousands of years ago. We're just we were repeating it. A long it. time ago, Mark. yeah. <laughs> but but we know M- Michelle and Carla are only 29 still. Mm-hmm. That's so, correct. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh you you two work in the healthcare industry. What's wrong with me? Why do I have a uh past life amnesia? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and we'll get to that somewhere okay. in the middle of this. Okay, <laughs> let's 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 tell you a little bit about what what happened with us. Okay. Um, now, seven or eight years ago, we started electronic medical records in the office, and neither Carla or I were 29 at the time. And so starting this new computer system in the office was hard. We switched over from paper and pencil to, you know, charts on the wall to treating patients all on the computer. And this the first six months of it was the worst time I'd ever had in medicine. Literally, I got up and got on a computer at 5 in the morning and got off computers at six or seven o'clock at night so that I could still see the same number of patients and still you couldn't quite and it was burnout and I used to tell Carla that it was getting to be a little much then Carla started to say it's not just a little too much you've become grouchy impossible to deal with we've got to do something with you because Carla and I have known each other for you know 25 years and I've always been happy-go-lucky and friendly and good with the patients. And she says, you're grouchy and miserable and horrible. And, and, and I, am I saying that about right, Carla? Um, yeah, I, I'd say cranky and just not even there, not even approachable. And when you have patients, that cannot be the case. 
when you're forced to put your nose into a computer all day every day just to meet the criteria, it really makes you feel like you don't get the chance to connect with the patients, unfortunately. So what happened, Mark, was I gave him a choice. I said, do you want me to call a counselor or what do you think about meditating as an office? I had read in AARP magazine all the benefits of meditation. And I brought it into the office and I said to Dave, you know, we could meditate as as an office. It was a small office. There were four of us. And Dave decided that we would, he'd go ahead and give that a try before I called the counselor. So, On the first day, uh, we had to get to the office by 7.30 before the patients came in. And, you know, in order to give it at least 30 minutes, and we sat in the break room. Um, We just had a candle and some peaceful music. The lights were off. And it was really difficult for all of us to shut off our brains. Um, It's hard because you keep jumping back into thought. But the first day, we all um, had the same opinion. It was very difficult to shut our brain off. The second day... We all saw colors, different colors, so we talked about that. And then the third day, the girl said, eh, we don't want to come in at 7.30. We'll do it at home. So that third day, it was only Dave and I meditating. And we meditated for about a half an hour. Then the patient started to come in, so we got up and we went to our um, adjoining offices, and Dave came up behind me and he said, Carla, I know you're going to think this is really crazy, but I think I was talking to your mother. And I said, my mother? My mother had passed away 18 years before that. Dave had never met her. And my first thought was, well, why is she coming to you and not me? I've always been rather open-minded. I've been to mediums and different things. And, you know, it wasn't surprising that somebody from the spiritual world would talk to us, but I would have thought it would be me. So Dave went on to tell me that, He was sure it was my mother. She had showed him um, a shoe, and she was laughing and jovial, and and he said she looked like me. So I went over to the computer, and I brought up like 60 pair of shoes, and I said to Dave, which shoe was it? And he walked over, and he pointed to this particular shoe. My mother was a ballroom dancer. She had worn a specific open-toed sandal with a little pump, throughout her entire life for ballroom dancing, and she would wear it for dress-up or to church. And the fact that he picked that shoe out of all of those, first of all, that got our attention. My sister also worked in the office. She went in the back and came up with a picture of my mother, and she showed it to Dave, and Dave got very emotional, and we said, what's the matter? And he said, this is the woman I was speaking with. So go ahead, Dave. So, of course, as a physician, I thought maybe – I should have seek, saw the counselor, and maybe I was losing my mind. <laughs> However, with Carla saying that this is the shoe, I thought this is this is very strange. I don't understand this. I was raised Catholic. I had never really been to a medium. I didn't really believe in any of that. But the girls were excited. We kept meditating. They wanted to see if they could talk to their mother. You know, we had to see patients. Now, the good news about meditation is it really changed my perspective on a lot of things right away, and it did make me relax. A lot of things I've learned about meditation, uh, as far as relaxation, it has a lot of health benefits. As a doctor, I was reading about the health benefits and lowers blood pressure, lowers blood sugar. And it's interesting, the first full year we meditated, I, I set a goal to lose two pounds a week. 
and 52 weeks later, I was 104 pounds less. Much healthier, doing great. So that's part of the story, Mark. We kept meditating and we kept seeing things. I kept having experiences. I saw this. Um, what we found out was a Mayan temple, but I saw this funny stone temple, and I was trying to explain to Carla what I was seeing, and she brought the temple up that she had gone on vacation and saw in Chichen and I said, that's the temple. We, I saw some Civil War history, little scenes, and, and I kept thinking, I don't know what this is. This is so strange. And then... One day I met a woman while I was meditating, and she told me her name was Isabella. And Isabella said she had been with me for 6,000 years. And And again, I'm like, okay, this is very strange. And then I'm meditating one day, and I start to see myself standing in an alley. And I'm looking across the alley in the dark, and I see Carla standing in the alley, except Carla is really much younger, like she probably is less than 29. Mm-hmm. And she's dressed with this fringed flapper-looking clothes on and a little gold band on her head. She's standing in the alley, and I'm looking across the alley at her, and I can tell it's Carla by her steel blue eyes. And suddenly I see two large flashes and hear two bangs, and I've get hit in the chest and I realize I'm shot and I'm thrown back in the alley and I'm laying on the ground. I tell her this story and then the next day meditating I get more of the story and I find out that I met this flapper at a wedding of a man named Angelo and that her name was Ruby Donaldson. And she had moved from Bullock, Georgia, and she wanted to become a dressmaker in Chicago. And I met her at at the wedding, and then I asked her out to breakfast, and she came to breakfast the next day, and she told me her entire life story as we walked along the beach in Chicago, along Lake Michigan. Uh And I came and I was telling Carla the story about Ruby Donaldson and her father's name, James. He's from, they're from Bullock, Georgia. And I met at a wedding of a man named Angelo and you were a flapper and somehow Angelo owned you and you worked at his speakeasy. And Carla was like, really? Carla being the most curious woman that there is in this world, there was a day she was off and she ran out and she started doing research. Well, actually, I got onto Ancestry.com, and you wouldn't think that the name Ruby Donaldson was that popular, but in 1904 it was very popular in the area of Bullock, Georgia. But had I not had the further information from Dave, knowing my parents' names, James and, Ann, James and Anna Donaldson, and knowing that I was one of 11 children, um, I would not have come across the information, but I did find the information. I found pictures of my parents and siblings. I didn't find any of Ruby Donaldson, but I was able to corroborate um, where she was born, um, April the 2nd, I think it was, 1904. Um, And then I went further on Ancestry.com. I'm not sure how I came across this information. I'm sure it was some divine guidance. But I found an article on 
the gangster Angelo Jenna. And I had never heard that name before, but Angelo Jenna was a gangster in Chicago. He was the head honcho right before Al Capone. And he got married to a woman named Lucille Spinola on January the 10th, 1925, at Ashland Auditorium in Chicago. There was an article about the wedding, and then there was another article I found, a picture of their wedding cake. It was over 10 feet tall. It served over 3,000 monsters. So, of course, I called Dave right away, and I said, I was able to corroborate the names you gave me, Ruby, when she was born, um, Angelo, Jenna, and so we had some solid evidence, and, you know, we continued to meditate, and Dave continued to get pictures and information, and we just kept writing everything down that we got, kept journaling everything we got when we meditated. And we kept doing this for the for the next five years. And over time, the person, I'll call her my spirit guide, Isabella, kept coming in and explaining things. She went back and said, your first life was 6,000 years ago and I was your spirit guide. And we went through and we slowly found 42 past lives that I had, 34 that Carla had had, and we found 29 of them where we were together in those lives in some way, shape, or form. Now, we found out that at times she was my love interest. There was a couple times she was my mother. She was my sister. She was my neighbor. But she was always showing up in those. And as we found out more and more about the lives and we got more and more stories, we started seeing other people from this life in those lives. We we found a next-door neighbor who was in 21 of the lives. We found um, Carla's sister in a few lives, my sister in a life. We found my father in a few different lives. And as, as all of this is happening, and, and all these stories are coming out during meditation, and again, as a as a physician, I said, there's got to be something to this because, again, I was raised Catholic and Carla was raised Catholic, and this didn't match anything that I had been ever taught was as I was growing up. So we we went out and we started doing research, and we found all the research done by Ian Stevenson, Jim Matlock, Dr. Jim Tucker from the University of Virginia, um, where they were looking at kids with spontaneous past life memories. And they had some 2,500 kids that they had been following for years, looking back at their past lives. Now, some of them have become relatively famous. There's a young man who became a, who had a memory when he was young of being in an Air Force pilot who went down off the coast of Japan. And he knew the name of his plane. He knew the name of the boat. And his parents thought it was very strange. They knew the name of some of the people on the boat. And the parents went out searching, and they found the boat. They found the names. They found the roster. They found his name on the roster, and indeed his was the only plane that was shot down, and he died off the coast during World War, well, you know, whatever, when they bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh Those kind of stories were out there. 
we finally went out and we actually got past life regression training with Dr. Brian Weiss, who was a psychiatrist down in um, Florida at Mount Sinai. He was the head of the Department of Psychology. He had also been the head of the department up at John Hopkins before. And he had been doing hypnosis to bring people back to their childhood to see if they had unresolved problems. And while he was doing it, some people went farther back and went to a life before this one. We started to see all those things, and all of those things were matching the experiences that we were having. And so, of course, we did go and train with Dr. Weiss, and we do past life regression with some friends and, and those things. But we really went just to learn more about it. It. it so with Dr. Weiss's research, uh, he, he mentioned uh, Dr. Matlock. In their you know, conclusions of their research, did... Was there an explanation for why all of a sudden Carla's mom became the first person who appeared to you? I, it, it, that, that's one of the uh, things you know, a, that interests me. Like, it, yes. so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, Mark, there is some we, kind. there is a little bit here that matters. We found out, and it, it's interesting when we researched it, apparently I was Carla's mother's first miscarriage in this world, in this life. And so I, I came to Carla's mother but wasn't born. And then we did more research, and I knew and my mother had, had a miscarriage, and it turned out to be Carla because there are reasons – that people in your past lives are drawn to you now. So we found that we were always meant to meet. And it's really interesting because as we did more and more look at this, I had another memory, and I was explaining the memory to Carla. And I said, I'm running on a beach in Boston. And my dad had gone to graduate school. And as I'm running on the beach in 1962, in this life, I'm screaming and running on the beach, and I can see in the background the Ferris wheels, and suddenly this little girl pushes me down. She sits on my chest and gives me a kiss on the forehead. She jumps up and she yells, stop bothering my family. And I look at her, and she's standing there in this little two-piece blue bathing suit, and I'm telling Carla this story, and Carla stops me and says, That was me. And why do I remember it? I didn't have to meditate. I remember it because I was the youngest of five girls, good Catholic family. Mother and father split up all the time, but would get back together, but they'd never divorce because they were Catholic and didn't believe in it. And this particular day, my parents were back together. I was the youngest, like I said, of all the girls. 
and I normally would inherit a bathing suit from one of my sisters. We were not well off. We didn't own a car. My father had rented two cabs, and we went to Revere Beach in Boston. And anybody who knows Revere Beach, it's not just sand and water. There was a big amusement park with it. So when Dave started to talk about this that day, I had in my mind exactly it was Revere Beach he was describing to me, and my sister Paula, of course, was walking, working in the office too, and she was listening to this conversation. And of course, we both said immediately, when did you live in Boston? Since we were both born and raised partially in Boston. So anyway, the day that we got to the beach, for whatever reason, I didn't have a bathing suit. So all five of us with our parents went across the street to one of those little souvenir shops. We really couldn't afford it, but my parents bought me my first brand-new two-piece blue bathing suit with a ruffle. And as Dave started to describe this, it all flooded back to me. And Dave also remembers a woman in the background saying, Carla, little girls don't behave that way. But we didn't keep in touch, and we didn't even remember this moment until Dave had the memory of it. It surfaced during meditation, and he brought it up to me. Our parents didn't keep in touch. We didn't keep in touch. Thirty-some years went by, close to 40 years went by, before we met um, in the medical office that he was going to buy. So the, what we know, Mark, is that there are pulls in the world that will pull you together to people you're meant to meet. Um, it's like, and as as we've looked into all of this, they call this a, a member of your soul family. So Carla's mother is also close into Carla and my soul family or soul group. And we come back as both karmic mates and or family mates. Family mates basically are people who are meant to help you along in your journey. Karmic mates are people you have karma with and, and are teaching you lessons. And so we're in that same group and in all of our lives, some of these people show back up. Now, not in every life, but Carla's been Carla's mother has been her mother, has also been her daughter. She's been my mother eight times. I've been her mother eight times. So all of these things are very tied together across thousands of years. And the story was interesting where... You two, or both your families, were inverses of each other. Absolutely. The miscarriage stories have been on both sides of the family. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that you know, I thought that was interesting as well. And it's kind of interesting, Mark. Uh, Carla and I joke about it sometimes, but I grew up in Nebraska, thousands of miles away from Boston, and if my father hadn't gone to graduate school, I would have never met her at three. But I grew up in sort of the all-American little picketed city with little town in Nebraska with picket fences and mom and dad with me the whole time. Carla lived in Boston, big city, a world that was completely different. Her family got divorced. However, all of the things that happened in our life brought us both to Ohio. And then we met again. Mm-hmm. 
because there's a reason we're always meant to be pulled together. And, Mark, will we find that many of our, because Dave has this wonderful gift and he can go back in and go take himself right back to past lives, um, a lot of the, a lot of the podca- uh, podcast hosts we have found in other lives. So somewhere we might find you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Part of the well, family you, uh, group. Okay, I, uh, you already uh, have uh, vacationed uh, just on top of the hill from me, so there. You, that's, that's correct. That's a start. That's a start. Somewhere we were pulled. To Ogle Bay. Yep. <laughs> so all those things do matter. And, and it's interesting, you know, I was telling you before that, you know, I was explaining this Mayan temple that I saw. Mm-hmm. And Carla knew to, which one it was. I didn't know. But she knew which one it was, and she drew it, brought it up on the computer and showed me this picture of the temple because... Carla had visited there in this life on vacation. And you have a pull to these places for a reason. We have a life when we're, we are both indentured servants in Bermuda. And actually, I got married in Bermuda in this life. Um, I'm um, My father was 100% Italian, and his parents came over from Italy. And it was I was always hoping to go to Italy. So I did finally get to Italy. And we find that we have at least four lives, past lives, in Italy. Um, I went to Scotland. We have a past life in Scotland. Um, we, I had an anniversary trip where we went down to Asheville, North Carolina. We have a life in Asheville, North Carolina. So you see we are drawn to these places because it's in our subconscious. We remember it. Um, we're drawn to certain people. They're part of our family group. Um, you know yourself. Sometimes you meet somebody and you feel very comfortable with them. More than likely, right. they're part of your family group. Then you meet someone and you don't feel comfortable with them. You probably have some karma with them. Since, since you know, we've been covering long stretches of time. Um, was do, do do you think that um everybody who would ever be alive was all created on was like this sixth day of you know like the biblical six days of creation and yeah, we Mark, get... it's a great question. I, th- I think what I think what you're getting at, and this is written in, in, in actually the first our first book, uh, the gift and of the third one, and the third one. Mm-hmm. There is actually a time that Isabella says that all souls were created, and it it doesn't happen on the exact biblical sixth day. But there, but it's very interesting, as Isabella actually um, dictated a little portion of our first book that talks about time and explosions 
and the things that happened at the beginning of the universe mm-hmm. and how it was created and that angels were created and the spirit guides were created and then all of the souls were created and then 500,000 couples were placed first. So it doesn't talk about only one Adam and Eve, which is very hard for the world to become populated. Human, The humankind was on earth, but souls were placed in a large number of the humankinds in pairs so that they could find each other and they would have children and they would multiply, which if you kind of read that, it is much like what's reported in the Bible, that animals were created, sky and water was created, and souls were created, and souls were placed all around the warmest parts of the world, which was really in the Mediterranean, close to water. And if you go back and do the research, that's where populations all originally popped up. Okay, so yeah, there's you know a little bit to that uh, opening of uh, the book of Jeremiah where uh, uh, says uh, you know God said you know before you were born I knew you and And there's lots of other little small biblical things uh there's there's a quote in the bible that talks about how come this child was born blind and they say it's because of their it's not because of the sins of their parents that's another one of those comments it's saying it's implying that he's born blind because of something that happened to him in a past life. And in fact, if you if you do more religious kind of studies, you find that reincarnation was very much a a early um, Hebrew belief or Jewish belief. It's still a, a, a major portion in the Kabbalah studies by the Jews. If you go into Hindu, which is really one even an older religion than all the Abrahamic ones, you find that the Hindu religion has believed in reincarnation. It's Buddhist is sort of related to that in the same part of the world as it developed, and it believed in reincarnation. In fact, 33% of the world's population believes in reincarnation. And 25% of Christians report that they believe in reincarnation. And there are multiple spots in the Bible. Uh, one, again, is the one that's where it says that John the Baptist is Elijah. Matthew 11:14. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. And so you start to see that biblically it's discussed. And if you if you read more into the Bible and you start to look at some of the early... Hebrew and Aramaic writing of the original biblical texts, you you find in the book of Leviticus, it says that you, your body is your temple and it's soul and you have to try to keep it clean so that God can be within you. They start to talk and they don't use the word sin. 
they used the word kata. And kata was an Aramaic word that says if you fail to reach your goal, you can atone, try harder, and get better. This is really what part of the whole purpose of reincarnation is. And it's one of those lessons Isabella taught us right from the beginning. She said, if you have a loving God, we know children die unexpectedly young. Is is one hour of life enough? Is four hours of life enough? Is four years of life enough? Is a thousand, you know, your entire life enough? Or does God, if you don't do well enough, if you fail to reach the goal of making your temple as clean as it's supposed to be, this loving God will give you another chance. In fact, chance after chance to get it right. Learning lesson after lesson, and the lessons are reinforced and encouraged through karma, which is a major portion of Hindu teaching. But if you read the Bible, it frequently says an eye for an eye. Just want your your, your listeners to think about some of those things that are in there. Well, Okay, um, okay, David, you were just mentioning sins, you know, the uh, kata. Um, Okay, so after someone is sent to Earth and is is born, um, you know, they're going to have make mistakes. Um, acts of you know, acts of faith, you know, uh, good deeds, and over the next you know, dec- you know de- decades, you know, uh, you know, patterns going to continue, and at, at some point you're you're going to die. So, um, so what happens? Next, like after you die, there's like a seems like there should be some kind of like dormant period. Like, do we know like what happens then, and then what triggers you to uh, get sent back? Is there like a certain like set period of time, uh, and then you you know come back? Or is there like world events that happen that prepare uh, in the time for your return? Lots of good questions there, Mark. So the time between lives we call atonement. Some people call it the past life review, where you actually live through and see the things that you did wrong. There's actually a council of 12, at least currently there's a council of 12 that is somewhat from your soul group who have actually completed this journey on earth. Yes? I think you skipped ahead. I think you you should let Mark know and the listeners that as soon as you die, you go, earth is considered plane one, you go to plane two, where you wait to acclimate. You lose your senses, and you wait to acclimate back to the spiritual world. And after that takes place in three days or so, 
then you go to your past life review. Correct, Dave. All right. And so in your past oh, life okay. review, yeah, in your past life review, it's it's sort of like watching the movie of your life over. You see what you did to others. So I'll give you an example. If if you were a World War II pilot and you bombed somewhere in in Europe and innocent people died and and their families were sad, you would see their sad families of the people that lost their lives. Now, I'm not saying you're judged because only God gets to judge because if you went into the service to to protect mankind and you had and you were trying to serve your country god would look at that different than a person who decided they wanted to go to the service because they wanted to shoot people so you can be a you know a good person and still be at the service but you're still going to have to learn compassion cuz innocent people died so you would see those people and and the families you left behind and the people who lost lives during the war I'm going to give you an example and this is this is because I've seen my father's my father in this life's past life atonement. They went through and I saw some of his last three lives. In in one life he was a slave trader and he brought and stole and split families up from Africa. He chained people into the base of his boat. And he delivered them to the island of Bermuda on the way to the United States. Or, well, it would have been the Americas then. In his next life, and he was my father in that next life, when I was in Chicago, his son was killed and taken from him. His wife was kidnapped, or his daughter was kidnapped, and his wife died in childbirth. That's part of karma. He's having to learn some compassion because he was split from his family just like he had done. In this life, my father was a great person. I I loved him. He's a great man. He was a high school principal. He did a lot of good things for kids and students. However, he got Parkinson's very seriously as he got older, and he was chained to his wheelchair. Part of that is to learn compassion. Those experiences, because he had put people through those experiences, he had to relive some of them. And it's all about learning compassion because Isabella's really taught us that there's really five simple rules. And the five simple rules for living is to live without conceit, live without jealousy, live without selfishness, always be forgiven, forgiving and make all decisions and intentions out of love. And that's the secret to getting off this wheel of reincarnation. So if you make all loving decisions, you don't develop more karma. You actually wipe out that karmic debt and you return back to God as the perfect creation of love as you were created. Hmm. Okay. Maybe somehow related to 
what you're just talking about. Um, I don't know which which one of you two would want to field this question, but does the moment of, of death have anything to do with um, what your next life is going to be, or does how how you live uh, going to impact have more of an impact on your next life, like you know you were just talking about? Well, um, you know, after your your life review, Mark, mm-hmm. then you first of all we talked about family mates and karmic mates. Right. In order for us to come back and either um, work together or um, release our karma together, we have to cycle back together. So let's say you and I have karma, but you live to be 80 and I live to be 60. So I die, I go through my life review, and then I have to sit and wait for you to die before we can cycle back together. So we don't all come back at the same time if we're going to release our karma, if we're going to have family mates to go through another life with, we have to cycle together. So you wait. And during that time, with your counsel and with God and with your spirit guide, they give you the examples of what your next life is going to be. They plan your next life for you. And our choices are not all our own. They may say, um, you know, you can come back with this person as your mother, this one as your father, but you have to work on the karma with this other person. Um, Do you want to do this or that? It's more like either or. It's not like, well, gee, I think I'd like to come back and be a billionaire and just travel. Um, That's not how it works because we all know that we learn through adversity. And unfortunately, we come back with some horrible diseases we come back and we have miscarriages. We come back and, um, you know, maybe we're adopted. And those are all lessons that are planned ahead. We don't always know exactly what's going to happen. We agree to some things. But ultimately, when we do come back, if we're coming back for karma, then our astrological sign will be based on the karma that we carry from a previous life. For instance, Um, if we were jealous in a previous life, then we will have the green angel from Raphael's legion to help us in this next life because we all have a spirit guide and we all have an angel. So what we do in our previous lives dictates somewhat to what's going to happen to us in our next life. Not just karmically, but... um, In our third book, The Manual, we talk about our astrological signs, our traits, and our archetypes, and how God carefully plans those out to help us overcome conceit, jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness. Wow. Is it confusing yet, Mark? No, no, I think you two are explaining things... um, uh, very well for a novice like me to understand. And, and, 
Dave, you've uh, had some experience working in uh, prisons. It is... Uh, you know, like the recidivism, um, are some of the prisoner, you know, since, since they have time to uh, think, you know, maybe meditate, you know, talk with uh, some of the prison counselors, um, have they did, or did did they discuss with you um any past lives that they um realized okay so mark i'll i'll have to you know it's when you're when you go into a prison to treat people Mm-hmm. First of all, there's a certain professional distance. Um, I will tell you that I was always very impressed by the Muslim population in prison. They're, they band together some so that it's a it's, it's sort of like a positive religious gang versus the gangs that occur in prisons. And so the Muslim prison population is is a very impressive they they do a lot to try to help people get over the problems they were having in this life but as a as a prison doctor going in I'm only going to support their belief I'm not going to tell them any of my beliefs that's that's something that would be sort of off boundaries, if that makes sense. Oh. You know, okay. if, if I'm talking to a, to a Muslim person or a Christian person or a Jewish person, I'm not going to discuss my religious things with them and, because I'm I'm there to make them healthier, and their spiritual health as a doctor means not imposing my beliefs, if that makes sense. Okay. No, no. I, I just wanted to uh, ask... Um, Okay, what um after going through a few lifetimes and maybe the last one you know, you, you complete all the uh but the, the the five topics of you know learning compassion you, you perfect it. Do, is that when you get to heaven or he, hell? Is there? Uh, it, 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 the okay, reincarnation yeah. thing it, seems it, a little different than the than the the Christian heaven or yeah, hell. like the you know, one-way street, you know, you're born, then you, know, you die, and then, you know, judgment happens then. So this was also one of the lessons very early from Isabella. There is no hell, 
And if you go back to the history, Mark, uh-huh. it's it's very interesting that if you go back to the Old Testament, really the word for hell in the Old Testament was Sheol, and Sheol was only a place where dead people go. If you right. go to the Greek past, they called it Hades. It's just a place where dead people go. It didn't have a judgment of plus positive or negative. If you look at Hindu religions, there is no hell. There's just return here or they go to Makasha, which is where they join back with Brahman or they go back to God. If you look at all of those things and you start looking through, they actually don't start discussing hell until the New Testament and there's very little written about hell. It's all about Sheol and about Hades. And then Uh if you start looking at church doctrine, what happens is when they wrote the King James Bible, King James went through and, and there were things that they couldn't quite understand and they didn't have the concepts. And he, he looked at all the things. And in the Old Testament, they talked about the Valley of Gehenna, which is a place where the kings and the judges of Jerusalem put their illegitimate children to death and burned them at the stake. So it was the ditch outside of Jerusalem. It was also part of the drainage sewage system for the for Jerusalem. King James didn't like any of the way that was written. And so he used the word hell and replaced it in the Bible every time it said Sheol, Hades, or the Valley of Gehenna. So hell became this place where dead people go, were punished, burned in a in a ditch outside Jerusalem. And that became hell. It's interesting. King James's wife was Germanic, and the god of the pagan god of the underworld was called Helia, and they named hell after the pagan god of the underworld, world Helia, and put that into the King James Bible. That's just biblical history, and that's part of the. The problem is that we have done so many changes and versions in the Bible that you can't really get the original Hebrew or Aramaic writing, or even it's hard to get some of the original Greek, and there's a lot of people studying it now, trying to find the original meanings. Just like Leviticus, the word wasn't sin, the word was kata, failed to reach your goal. You don't go to hell because you failed to reach your goal. You try harder. And that's what reincarnation is about. And it's about choosing the path to love. And it's about having free will in this world. So you get to make decisions in this world. And why do you have to have free will? Because without free will, you cannot choose to love. Okay. In some of the early stages of Christianity, there was that Council of Nicaea, and 
We'll go back to that, Mark, too, because this is really interesting history. The yeah, most- I, I wanted to, since you were just talking about early church history, I, I was like, eh, okay, might as well kind of work that in at the moment. So, but, yeah, go, uh, yeah, you and Carl, go, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, the the early Christian history includes origin of Alexander, who was raised, I mean, his people were Jewish. He was one of the early Christian theologians. He, in fact, wrote almost all the early Catholic and church doctrine, and that was in about 200 A.D. Now, Origen actually wrote that he believed in transmigration of the soul, preexistence of the soul before their first birth, He believed that that was all biblical based on what he read. And transmigration of the soul means the soul going from one body to another body, or in other words, reincarnation. And that was part of the early church doctrine in about 200 A.D., which is 130 years, wait, 170 years after uh, Jesus. They're still saying that reincarnation and some of the Jewish Hebrew beliefs are true, and that reincarnation exists. And it wasn't until even after the Council of Nicaea, at the Council of Nicaea, they actually voted, uh, they got the bishops together, and they voted, was Jesus God or not, in, in the Council of Nicaea, and, and set down some of the other church doctrine. It was in about 400 A.D., or 200 years after Origen wrote the early church doctrine, that they excommunicated him from the church and said all of his writings are wrong because he believes in reincarnation and preexistence of the soul, because the church teaches that when you're born, God breathes life into the fetus and the soul is put in there then. But Origen didn't believe that, and that wasn't the early church doctrine. Okay, and uh, another uh, question that I just wonder if it's related. Uh, It it is a topic of deja vu. Is that somehow connected to past lives? It can be. You have a feeling that you've done something before, just like I chose to go to Bermuda on vacation. Um, you feel that familiarity mm-hmm. to things. Um, right. You may have done it before, and it could be just something simple, an everyday action, and you say, hmm. Or you go somewhere and, and something looks familiar to you because you actually were there in another life. And uh, Mark, I'll tell you an, another interesting part of doing some of the research because uh, uh, my medical interest in those things. If you go back and you start looking at the some of the theories of the mind and the subconscious, and we find that first meditation, hypnosis, and the time between wake and sleep is when people have most of their past life memories, and when you study those, you find out 
that alpha waves and theta waves develop in the brain and that theta waves are related to memory. Then we start to look at some of the other concepts about the brain. The brain mm-hmm. saves everything in your subconscious. So the first time in, in your life when you touch something hot, it burns you. The next right. time you touch something hot, you pull back faster. That's saved in your subconscious. We also save every one of our memories, and it's called modular theory of, of the study of the brain. There's actually a pathway that the brain saves every single thing that happens in your life as a positive or negative, which sounds a lot like karma, and it's saved. And if when you take people into hypnosis, you're actually going into their subconscious, and then you go back into hypnosis or while meditating, and you go into the subconscious or the past life memory, which is really where that deja vu occurs. And it's and what it is is example in a past life if you were shot and killed, that negative memory is saved, so you try to avoid being shot and killed in your next life. It's protective, just like you don't want to get burned if you touch something hot again in this life. All of those memories are saved as a positive or a negative experience, and all of those experiences have to become balanced out so that you have all of those positive and negative experiences and you start to overcome all the adversity and start to make choices out of love, and then you return back as that perfect creation that you were from the beginning. You were created as a spark of love from God. You came into a harsh world. You actually had to have the fight-or-flight response. You had to do the survival of the fittest. Otherwise, as a species, we would have been wiped out. And the fight-or-flight and the survival of the fittest is all about ego, the conceit, the selfishness, the jealousy, unforgiveness. We try to be better than someone else. And we needed to do that to survive as a species. But now we're past that. And now we're actually into that compassion, into the the time of love. And people sometimes ask me, now how can you say that because the world is such a horrible place? But if you really look at the world, the world is the best it's ever been. Now I know they don't make it sound like that on media, but... We have the least, the least war, the least violence, the least death, the least poverty, the least hunger at any time in world history because the world is slowly getting better. And that's really this purpose of reincarnation, life after life, to improve and then return back to the Creator. Okay. <clears throat> Dave, with your um, background in medicine, are are those like the alpha and theta waves that you were just talking about, are they measured on some of those uh, like like the color-coded like MRIs or CAT scans? Okay, actually, you're... Yes, you can you can do them on the MRIs too. Um, they're 
actually working on studies there, um, and it's still a ways off, but, you know, we can actually speak to people who are in comas. Now, some people can hear when they're coma, and if you teach them to say yes and no in their brain, their MRIs change when they say yes and no. And so wow. we can actually see memories when they're brought up and that portion of the brain gets activated. Now we're trying to figure out, because there's a lot of fantasy that occurs in past life regression, but we'd like to be able to figure out if we can have past life regression, have people hypnotized, do the MRIs of their brain, and see if it's their memory centers or their fantasy centers that are answering the questions so that we can see how that interacts. Those, that's part of the research. It's a ways down because it's relatively expensive you know, to hypnotize people and get an MRI. But, you know, because we're really worried about health and disease now, so we might use that research money to find a cure for Alzheimer's before we're going to use that to find out about past lives. No, uh, but what you're saying it is... Uh, uh, captivating, and, and, and it does have uh, merits with um, maybe someone in a coma would respond in such a way that yeah, maybe they could actually uh, come out of a coma if you know, we understood what you're talking about. It is, you know, would they be able to say yes or no? And that would help them to get out of such a terrible situation. I, I, I that, but I, yes, I find they that may actually be able to reconnect to something positive. Yeah. I, I, that, and maybe. Instead of there being you know, more uh, prolonged damage to the body uh, just by remaining in that condition, maybe w what you're talking about uh, pushing for some research in in that field of you know connecting to another person would, would actually be advantageous. Yeah, Mark, there's another area of, of research that's going to be interesting someday in this area. They're, they're doing neuro research, and it's really an interesting area. They're finding areas in the brain. They've, they've found an, an, a, a neural pathway where the baby recognizes the mother most. And there's possible ways to use that in reincarnation research. And so I know this is, sounds strange, but you can actually map the baby's brain 
when it sees its mother for the first time, it, there's a spot in the brain that responds and recognizes the mother that it's never seen before. If you, if you imply that to reincarnation, it could be that they're recognizing someone who was their mother before. Just, just giving you some interesting thoughts. No, and, and I actually did, did uh, jot a note down about uh, myself uh, in case it came up, and, and you know what you were just talking about now. Um, it got me th- thinking that it, um, you know we've had uh, Catherine Children as a guest several times talking about uh, you know the Shakespeare authorship controversy and the upcoming uh, Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship Conference um, or, you know, over the last three years and uh, um, you know I enjoy Elizabethan, uh, you know, literature, you know, the history, you know, it's a lively time period, but um, I do not have any uh, vivid memories of uh, being in Elizabeth's, you know, courtier or something in Elizabeth's court. I I, I just and like the artwork is just uh, kind of kind of uh, what appeals to me. And um, when my mom was pregnant with me, she you know, she was going to her favorite class, and it was this Shakespeare uh, class. And you know, I may have heard her uh, reading. In you know, if they were acting out uh, scenes or uh, reading. Uh, you know, when she got home, um, I might have, you know, that experience of um, it, just hearing the rhythm and sound of the poetry and language um, may have helped me to have a very early appreciation for um, Shakespeare. You know, without uh, having a past life about it, I, um, I was trying to make that distinction. But um, it's hard—it's hard to make that distinction, Mark, because you may have been drawn to that period. You may have been in that period with your mother before, which is why she was drawn to that period. Okay, it's another way to look at it. Yeah, she. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, she. You know, she she's, you know. Uh, Probably by that time, she, you know, she may have had a hard time sitting in one of the desks. But uh, yeah, I was there, you know, the whole time when when she was, um, you know, in, in in taking this college class, and I, I, I just kind of wondered about that. I I, I don't know. We'd um, actually have a chance to uh, get into it, but yeah, you know, uh, that may yeah you know, your observation. It sounds like it's something very valid, but you know the what you were talking about with the science just uh, and we know that uh 
the babies can uh, hear, hear their mother's uh, voices. Uh, so, so you know, that's a proven scientific fact as well. Uh, so all, your perspective of all the science you're bringing to the discussion is, is really making this um, very interesting. But, you know, the coma thing was a, a really, really neat information, too. I like so that. So there's a lot out there, and, I, you know, there's a lot of data and information out there that at least starts to imply the research that they've done on these children. And, you, and, and the reason they do it on children, and it seems that children have memories, their first four or five years of life they can sometimes remember a different life, and they'll say things and people usually blow it off because the kid will say, you know, I remember the last life you weren't my mommy. Or uh-huh. the interesting stories where they'll say, I I remember that I was married to Jean. And, you know, they're four years old. They they weren't married to Jean, but they say I was married to Jean. And we lived in a blue house. And I, and I put money under the floorboard upstairs, and they've actually went back this was a was a story in India where reincarnation is not considered quite as strange, but they went back and they this kid kept saying, I was married to Jean in a blue house in such and such a community, and they went. And the four-year-old ran upstairs and went up to the bedroom and said, I buried money under this floorboard. And they took the floorboard up and the money was there. You can't teach a kid... Huh. And, and coach him to to say those kind of things. And that goes back to what um, Carlos said, uh, or you gave us the example early on in the show where she. Um, was talking about the um you know I went to the computer and looked up the uh uh flapper uh dance shoes well her her mother's dance shoes and then she went and looked up the flapper in fact mark we mm-hmm. got in the car one day from ohio and we drove to chicago and walked in chicago's little italy Oh. Turned the corner on Loomis Street and found the apartment building that Ruby Donaldson lived in in 1925. And a friend of mine did the research and went and found out that the building was built in 1899 and had been in an apartment ever since. So the building I remembered in my memory was actually in Chicago, and I had never seen it until we went to Chicago after the fact. Okay. okay. Uh, There's a lot the, of little the, synchronicities in life, Mark. Like, for instance, yeah, well, Dave has told you now that his spirit guide's name is Isabella. And when we approached the apartment building in Chicago and we looked up, the name of the apartment building was Isabel. <laughs> now, is that like, that's not coincidence. That's a synchronicity. That, yeah, yeah you can't own, make that up. 
No, you can't make it up. No. But, you know, that you know, Carla's shoe story seemed uh, uh, reminiscent uh, um, of the, the movie uh, Kundin. Um, I thought that was a really well done movie. I don't know if you've seen that. It was uh, you know, covering uh, I don't know, first thirty years of the uh, Dalai Lama's uh, the present Dalai Lama's life. No, I haven't seen it, but I want to now. Yeah, it, and they they were testing um, after. Was it the thirteenth Dalai Lama that passed away? And so they're they're looking for the reincarnation of the present one. Correct. Mm-hmm. And um, and they put down all all these kind of possessions for children and the uh, um and you know. Yeah, you know, Joe or you know whatever his name is, Joe said, you know, th- this and this and this are mine, and uh, uh, it had no connection whatsoever to the previous Dalai Lama. Uh, but the, you know, it got, you know, went through some, you know, several other children, and the present one picked out everything that he said was his, and yeah. You know, I just thought that was um, an and, interesting and Mark, story. Yeah. The, the research that, that they did at the University of Virginia is a lot like that. I know it's – this is – but this is what they do. They, they go and they investigate these cases, mm-hmm. and when they can confirm the identity in the, in the life before – they they do different things. They'll go back to that life they think that this kid had, and they'll take a picture of the house, and then they'll do a test, and they'll show five pictures of houses, and only and one of them is the life from the past life that the kid thinks he has, and the kid, it's the house that's correct, and then they show a picture of five people. And he picks the picture that's correct, and it's his wife in that life. Or they find out that the person had a dog. And so they just put pictures of five dogs, and one of them is a Doberman Doberman picture. And he says, which dog do you like the best? And the kid always picks the Doberman that he had in his past life. Those are the kind of tests they're doing that, that, because they're trying to do this controlled and give them you know, people tell a story, but they want to test the kid to see if he... And these kids will get 70 or 80% of the of the test questions right, which is way better than the, the 10, 20% they should get right if they were just guessing. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, uh, 
I, I only, it, I, I guess that's uh, statistical. Um, but you know, the math, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, really seems to indicate that there is something to this phenomenon and and, and you know I've talked about that on, uh, 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 something similar on other shows and I get all the like Nathaniel Hawthorne, you know, writing in uh, the House of Seven Gables, all these like uh, you know, Vic- Victorian ghost uh, type. Um, it it, it sounds like folklore, but and uh, in, and in, and in, um, in Dickens is a Christmas Carol. You get the you know, kind of like interdimensional travel, but. He, 150, 60 years later, you get the scientists and the mathematicians, like that group of people, actually uh, presenting some evidence that what Dickens and Hawthorne were writing about um, actually has some basis in uh, reality. It's it's not just uh, um, you know, uh, it's not cute stuff to put in a book. Yes, it's there's some things out there that are real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's really fascinating. You know, Mark. um, Again, I would tell you that the first time I talked. To Carla's mother, I did think I was crazy. But if if part of our essence, our soul, continues, not only is it an excellent argument that that there is a spiritual world and there is an existence that lasts forever, and that God exists, and that there is a connection to this spiritual world. And that all of the mediums, the people who have these past life experiences, these kids who talk, and the people who you know that say, "I remember in between lives that I was there, and I saw my other loved ones there, or the people who have n d e s and say, "I passed over, and I was greeted by my mother who died before, and I saw beings of light." And you look at our religious teachings over, you know, thousands of years with angels, spirit guides. If you start talking about Indians, they the uh, Hindu, they have lesser gods, which you could almost call angels. If you look at that all the way across history, there's something embedded in us that wants to believe and some mm-hmm. part of us that can connect with that which we want to believe and that the fact that there needs to be some sort of creation and some sort of control over all of this 
is there all of that gives us evidence that there's a purpose and that our purpose is greater than just this life and that our purpose is that in some way shape or form we are an eternal creature Ah, oh, okay i mean it, 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 carl just gave that story uh about you know, walking down the street in Chicago, and then all of a sudden they see the Isabel apartment building. Um, I, sometimes you get you know, people talking about you know, want, you know, say you went on vacation to London or Rome. People talk about they just seem like they had been there. They didn't have any difficulty finding and you know, get, getting to the Pantheon you know, through all the narrow winding streets, and you know, it seemed like they knew how to get there um, with. You know, without you know uh, prompts, uh, you know I was there. And I'd you know look at maps and try to figure out, uh, you know, read the signs, and you know, I eventually got there. And I was, you know, that's another one of my problems with with past lives. Is I I I think you've presented this in such a way that I understand it. I'm still not. I haven't. Had my memory jarred yet, but um, there seems to be a purpose or there is some kind of scientific explanation for this, and and, and we're just getting to proving through the MRI machines that you know, uh, you know there. Yeah, you know, this is a, a, a real experience. And the other thing, Mark, is even if you call it anecdotal evidence, you know, there's thousands upon thousands of people who have this experience. Mm-hmm. You know. At some time, you have to say, is 33% of the population of the world crazy? Or is 33% of the population of the world having an experience because it's true? And I don't don't know if that's really up to us to decide that for someone else. It isn't. We can't decide that for somebody else. But you have because people are going to find their truth. And the other thing that's true, Mark, Carla usually jumps in here, but when you say or tell people something that's different than their core beliefs, it's very difficult. Right. You know, it's very difficult to, to address their core beliefs. And that speaks yeah. to those those five simple rules for living because the ego does not allow us to want to be wrong. 
let's face it, we're raised in if our parents buy a Chevrolet, early on we buy Chevrolets until we either decide we don't like them or, you know, we like something else. If we're born and our parents are Republicans, we tend to be Republicans until we learn otherwise. And it's the same thing. Um, it's your core belief. If you're raised Catholic, many times, I think it was, um, I can't remember the girl's name that wrote the book about all of the people that are Catholic and raised Catholic and they don't necessarily believe in it. They just go because that's the way they were raised, and that's the case with a lot of religion. Um, mm-hmm. It's what you're used to doing. So when you get on to reincarnation sites, of which there are many, 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 many of them, what we're talking about today is not abnormal. The people are all talking about their experiences and how they had um, they had a past life memory of when they were this person or that person. They were in Egypt. Um, they were uh, in the Holocaust. Um, you know, it's it's very common in those arenas. But out here in the the you know we live in a very small community. And if we were to start up a discussion with people about reincarnation, I know they would think we absolutely flipped our lids, but they didn't have the experience that we've had. If people would meditate, we taught meditation at the the local university for a while here, if people would meditate and open their mind and turn off their TVs and their cell phones and their iPads and all of those things and allow the spiritual world to connect with them, they probably would be having more experiences. Mark, if you meditated regularly, you keep saying that you have not had that experience, you probably would. And it might start out like Dave did, where you just saw, um, I mean, I myself, when I meditate or when I'm between sleep and wake, I get all kinds of pictures from my past lives. And a lot of times I jot them down, I draw them, um, or I make little notes on them. And if you were to meditate regularly, that's probably what would happen with you, too. Hmm. You would open okay. yourself up. Mm-hmm. Besides all the other health benefits, too. Oh, huge. In, in working um, another movie... Uh, you know, there's uh, Patton, and he, uh, you know, General Patton. Mm-hmm. James McCall. Had, no, he probably uh, doesn't was, know about uh, George James. C. Uh, George C. Scott uh, uh-huh. uh, played, but he. he Patton uh, believed in reincarnation it, too. He, he, yeah, and, and through. Uh, you know, there's several important scenes in the um, uh, movie where he's uh, reading the Bible. Uh, and it came from a you know, distinguished family, you know, like you know, you know, Carlin. Like the example you were just talking about, you know, like the social norm would probably, like, uh, you know, put off uh, neighbors of. Uh, you, you started talking about reincarnation, but um, you know, Patton uh, you know, recited uh, you know, uh, poetry that he he wrote in another age, and 
going to you know battlefields and you know he he was there like two thousand years you know when the you know, Attila the Hun or so, someone attacked uh, Carthage. So it, 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 it you know this past lives or reincarnation is uh, depicted in. Big time movies, and, and that was actually pr- pretty accurately done movie as well. So, so there really seems to be um, notable people who ha- have been very vocal about their experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if there's a question there. Oh. <laughs> just, yeah, just making George, an observation. Yeah, George Patton. Um, definitely believed in reincarnation. If you go back a long time into history, you start to look at uh, people like Plato. Isaac Newton believed in reincarnation. Uh, You start to look at people that were bright, intelligent, normal people in their time who believed if you if you go back you find entire countries because we still have India where Hindu was very positive we find Jewish we find the Gnostic Christians in, in the early time of Christianity we find the Kabbalist Jews we actually find Druze which is I'm going to say is sort of related to the Muslim faith. They they are a little bit like that, except they're a small sect that believes in reincarnation. You start to see this across the entire world, and if you actually look at American Indian ancestry worship, it starts to become present in that too, where children or the next shaman is the reincarnation of another shaman. And then I'm going to tell you a few other little things that are I think are interesting. We looked at our our past lives and we actually found in each life where we what we did that was wrong. But we also looked at some patterns. We had a life where we were Vikings fighting Scotland. Then we were Scottish in the next life fighting English. And then we were English fighting Scottish. And then again, a Viking married into a Scottish family. And what we found in these patterns is that we lived on both sides of each problem. Maybe even fighting each other in the same war. Then we looked at patterns and we found that we were black in one life and white in another life and we were slave owners in one and and slaves in another. We know people that have been both male and female because you have to live both sides to really learn compassion. Those are the interesting lessons that start to come out when you start looking at the patterns. And then we look at some of the patterns in the world. Is the fact that Rome conquered... um, Israel 2,000 years ago, 
and suppress the Jews? Is that part of the next part of the next great war, the next great war? Are all of these wars related? Was the Holocaust related to Rome first attacking? All of these things that occur in history. Is there group karma? Are we all fighting some amount of group karma? And is this what we have to do as a civilization, which is overcome this fighting, the war, the killing, the prejudice, all of it, because we're all learning these same lessons and we live on both sides. And until we start eliminating the sides, we're going to keep fighting each other and we're going to keep returning life after life. Hmm. Uh, uh, that's um, profound. Uh, yeah, there, uh, what... I... With this being uh, on both sides uh, of, you know, say, you know, the plantation owner and a slave, and Carla's example early on, where each of you was a miscarriage from the other's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all very interesting. It's like uh, being the yin and yang of each other, and some kind of uh, Jungian uh, concept. You know, the other half. It's very much intelligent planning, isn't it? Yes, there's somebody who's controlling this because we couldn't just do by accident. No, I, I, I don't think you can't. You, know, you do get into you know, the need to you know, put on uh, you know, like God's armor and Ephesians and you know, fight the bad guys, but hopefully those times may have had to escalate a little bit now, but hopefully it's going to end and we can get more return to a more compassionate time and learn something from all these experiences and make the world a better place. You know, all of what you you discuss is just uh, um, really mind blowing. Well, in our first book, um, there's 20 of our past life stories, and after every story, we give the reason um, that we were reincarnated yet again, and we don't like to say bad and good. We like to say positive and negative. Um, okay. So we give examples of those. In our second book, we have seven of our past life stories. 
again with the reason that we were reincarnated yet again. In our third book, there's one of our lives, it's actually a life in Italy, that's woven throughout the book. And past lives are fun and they're interesting. Um, They're very entertaining. But we need to remember that Dave and I are still here because obviously the last time we didn't, our last life, actually, we didn't have enough time to create enough karma. We were actually brother and sister. His name was Johnny and my name was Katie. And we were, um, I was six and he was four, and we were playing um, in our house on Christmas Eve. We were on a three-story staircase, and we both fell to our desks and broke our neck. And here's a little karma story for you. Um, Our mother was in the other room, and she was wrapping presents, and um, her husband was actually fighting in World War II at the time. And he was a bomber, and he was killing innocent children and families. And Isabella tells us that we didn't live long enough to accumulate any karma. We weren't old enough. But our father had to come back from the war and see what it's like to lose children that were innocent. So he could have gone into the service. He was doing his job, but maybe he could have chosen, you know, something different. Or if he was doing what his, you know, commanders told him to do, he still needed to understand in order to have compassion, even if you're fighting the enemy, you know, you're not just fighting soldiers and bad guys. You're fighting women and children and doctors and hairdressers and all of the above. Um, But our life before that, when we were the flapper and the junior banker, Ruby and JJ, that story, um, there's a lot, a lot of details in book one. Um, And the karma from that life is carried over to this life for Dave and I. In that life, we were young, but I was involved with the mob. I was owned by a gangster, and um, Dave wanted to be with me, and we didn't think of the repercussions of what would happen. We selfishly put ourselves in a position where um, we ultimately ended up involving a lot of people and getting ourselves killed. So in our last life, we weren't carrying over that karma. We were too young. But in this life, Dave and I both have the yellow angel of selfishness. And it's not that Dave and I are selfish now. It's that we were in our past life. So God gave us that angel to carry over in this life to make sure we didn't do it again. Remember, being selfish isn't just eating the biggest piece of cake. It's You can be selfish with your time or selfish with your actions. And so we need to remember that our past lives are fun and they're interesting and it's, you know, fun to know who you were and all the details. But we also need to remember that we're here here ultimately because we have to get past what we're doing. We need to learn and grow and help others to learn and grow. And it's not just about us, but it's... um, you know, it's not just what happens to us, it's how we react to it, and we have to remember that our actions affect everybody else and everybody else's karma. And, Mark, here's that other little yep. thing. This is an interesting little short thing that I tell people sometimes. 
when you go to the grocery store and the clerk's having a bad day and the clerk looks at you and snaps at you and is, is rude and then you fight back and you get rude at the clerk, just think at that moment you may have tied yourself to that clerk for the next thousand years because of the karma you just created. Now you may be able to fix it before this life is over, but if you're but your response was to get even and fight back and be nasty and do whatever. They may have just had a bad day. That's the moment you need to be understanding, make a loving choice. Forgive that person who's having their bad day, even if they're rude for that moment, because you're tying them and possibly you into have to returning into just another life just to deal with the karma because they had a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. So remember, it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you choose to deal with it. Okay. Um, so hopefully this is somewhat uh, related. Yeah, like this example of being tied to the clerk for the next thousand years. Um, Might have been an exaggeration. It, Sorry. <laughs> but 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 what about? Like you know, with all these uh, ghost uh, TV shows, and you know, going to the house, and you know, like the, uh, you, know, it's, you know, you can find the newspaper articles where, you know, uh, you know this unpleasant older guy you know, died in the house in the 1890s, and you know, people are still convinced that. Uh, you know, this uh, guy is, is still the building. E- e- yeah, still in the house. Uh, it, or, and you know, to use your uh, term, like you know, tied to the clerk. You know, it's tied. You know, this ghost is tied to the house. Um, you get that, and you know, the Bruce house Mark, is subjugated. Your question: Why? Why would there be this state where you die and you don't pass over and you hang out here? It's the most interesting thing because Isabella says everybody passes over. However, that doesn't mean that if you pass over, you can't connect to this world. And how does if if Carla's mother can connect to me, anybody who else is in the spiritual world could potentially connect, and those people who are very open-minded can connect to those in the spiritual world. The person who was the man who died strange in his house may be still trying to reach the next world he's going to return to. So what he knows and what he puts out there is his memory his thoughts, his hopes for the future. And so he's reaching out from heaven to somebody who's open-minded, who experiences his memory that he's putting out there. That 
that's not necessarily a ghost that's sitting with you physically. That's a that's a ghost that's sitting with you mentally. Because we've oh. we've talked to some people who are doing ghost hunting and doing those things, but we find out over time that most of them are very open-minded and they're actually out there trying to tell those ghosts, it's okay, the world is over, you know, deal with your atonement, deal with your time in heaven, that you don't need to con- communicate because they may feel that their work is undone because it is, because they still have work to come back to because they're going to reincarnate. And maybe even okay. communicating that to the people who are here on earth. And going back to your core beliefs, if you're raised to have a fear of ghosts, and I don't know why they have to put the name ghost on it, it's just a spiritual being. If you're raised to have fear from them, like churches so often do, they tell you mm-hmm. that they're demons or devils or you should be afraid of them. If right. that's the way you're raised and you're open-minded and the first time someone tries to contact you, and you immediately have fear, it all goes back to your, your core beliefs and the way you were raised and the way you you were taught to believe. But if you're taught from the beginning that, you know, perhaps your mother is very open and, and she knows that other people in her family will be and her kids are open, and she teaches them from the beginning that these are just spirits and you can connect with them, those people don't freak out about it and they don't have the fears. It all goes back to those core beliefs and the way you're raised and what you have in your imagination and what you conjure up. If you believe there's a devil, a little red guy with a tail and pointy ears, um, you know, the mind is capable of a lot of things. Okay. I I, I just want you you know, know, there's the... There's a um, prevalent theme on some of these uh, TV shows, and you know a lot of uh, his podcasts cover his paranormal type subjects. And I, I just um, and wondered how, if there's an aspect of that that fits in with the past lives. It's just kind of like a interesting topic where maybe there's someone stuck there that, I don't know. I'd ask you this, Mark. If there's a God, why would God let them be stuck? Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, According to St. Augustine, uh, God knows where everyone's uh, uh, died, you know, even in, in a shipwreck, you know, from the Roman times. He he knows where the bodies are. I, I you know, there there's that aspect of correct. This is another too. one of those interesting thoughts, Mark. You know, yeah. this is this is one of those uh, church doctrines uh, that I'll. And, and I don't, I'm not attacking anybody's core belief. It's just what I think is the most interesting. You know, supposedly we're waiting for 
all those who've died before are waiting till final judgment and they haven't really gone to heaven though mm-hmm. if you talk they're all waiting for judgment to the final day they're all going to return the that whole line of uh, church doctrine it's really interesting because we have that line of church doctrine that says everybody's waiting for the final judgment and nobody's been judged and then yet we have in the bible Jesus appears on the mountain and Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus now where did they come from where did those two spirits that had already passed come from if they're all waiting for it for the final judgment day is there such a thing as saints do some people pass over immediately or is everybody waiting for for judgment day in the old testament did samuel come and appear um oh, is the, the witch testament? of endor the witch of endor did that was samuel coming to reappear how does that all occur if there are no spirits in the spirit world how can how does church doctrine where are those souls waiting because they're all waiting for the final atonement before they can be reattached to their body and return yet in the bible souls in heaven are speaking to people on earth Uh-huh. Even supposedly the Apostle Paul sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus had already supposedly died and gone back and transfigured and gone back to heaven, but Jesus is talking from heaven to Paul, who's walking on this. Uh-huh. So spiritual beings can can speak in the Bible to people on earth. Yet all souls that have passed are waiting for final date of atonement. Just a just an interesting thought. So I think that some of the mediums that say they're in connection, and when people talk about connection to ghosts, they're talking about a connection to spiritual beings that have passed over. They can still somehow connect here. If you're open-minded and you meditate, I think that there are people who are gifted in that way. You know, I don't try to... I I talk to Isabella because she's my spirit guide. This is something very easy and, and something I'm connected to. But I don't try in general to talk to people who've passed over. Now, I have been visited by my father, and I've been visited by other people who have passed just like I was with Carla's mother. And I know other people who have had the same experiences, and those are all good people, and I don't think they're all crazy. Uh, I've been really impressed with your answers and insightfulness on... Uh, this subject. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really um, am not 
uh, just more of a passing interest instead of you know being a uh, uh, scholar on on this subject. But uh, I think you really enlightened me, and I'm sure the audience really was able to extract a lot of new in- insights from b- both of you. Well, I'm glad to hear that, really? Mark, because it's always – that's part of what we want to do is we just want to share the message. The real message is that you are an eternal being with chance after chance to get it right, that God has really given you opportunity after opportunity. And then there's one other thing I usually tell people at the end. We've got to take care of our planet, take care of this earth we live on. And part of that is not only do we are we leaving this to our children, but we could be leaving this to ourselves. Okay. And, and you know, we're coming down to the last couple minutes or, or or so, um, maybe might want to close with that thought and give you and, and Carla uh, the remaining co- couple minutes to uh, let the listeners know where to find your books and your I'll plug your website again. Um, our, our website is thegiftofpastlives.com. Um, if you go to the website, we have links to selling all of our books. Um, but they're also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other smaller bookstores that you can order through. Um, the three books are The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth, Hell No Reincarnation with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth, and the manual, um, which, again, the first book is sort of told about our first experience. The second book is some research into reincarnation and some of the topics out there. And the manual is literally a book that tries to tell you how to get off the karmic wheel and the lessons you need and the help that you're getting from God, angels, and your spirit guides in an attempt to get off the wheel and return back to God, Source, Tao, Creator. And uh, it's been a pleasure, Mark. And Mark, I just want to say that um, we did a show the other night and with Betsy and Jared uh, Anderson. And Jared said okay. something that I absolutely loved. He said, in the past year or so, it's been really difficult for small business owners. We would appreciate anybody who has a small bookstore nearby They could go order our books um, just like any other place, but try to support them because it's very difficult for the small business owner um, and has been for the past couple of years. So that would be great. And thank you to you and to Barb. Yeah. I'm very appreciative. Thank you so much, Carl and Dave. We're uh, we're just about out of time. And we're going to have to do this again Sometimes I, I, I am very thankful for your uh, insights tonight. So we will see everyone next week.
Thank you.